Hey people, welcome to Accidental Gods, to the place where we believe that another world is still possible, and that together we can make it happen. I'm Manda Scott, your host at this place on the web, where art meets activism, politics meets philosophy, and science meets spirituality, all in the service of conscious evolution. And here we are with Sophie Miller, back for the aftermath of the G7. In our last podcast, we listened to the preparations and to the early work of the activism that she and the other members of Ocean Rebellion and Extinction Rebellion and Children's Fire and all the other people who congregated on Cornwall for the meeting of the leaders of the world's seven richest countries. So now we're back, talking to a recovering Sophie who has been a mermaid and been directing a flotilla and a host of other things to find out how she feels, how it went, and what the impact might be for us and for the oceans of the world. So people of the podcast, please welcome Sophie Miller. So Sophie, welcome back. Hello, Amanda. From all of your adventures on the sea. It's just watching all of the photographs and the videos coming through on various social media. It did look very inspiring. So we left you going off to fix mermaid tails, uh, which then two days later appeared. And I hope sincerely that we will have that photograph as the header on the podcast, because you made a very good mermaid. So what are your highlights of the actions around the G7? Well, thank you, Manda. It's lovely to see you again on the other side of the G7. It was certainly an incredibly busy time, really very full on. Uh, all passed in a bit of a blur, actually. And um, I seem to remember the day that I had making mermaid tails was was my day off, which was um, yeah. that was quite relaxing, actually, with a group of people making mermaid tails. The mermaid action. I, I was really pleased with it. It went really well. It was um, quite a challenging action to do. I had to get up at half past one in the morning. I'm not even sure if that counts That's as morning. morning. That's the middle of the night. No, it definitely doesn't. Yeah. Goodness. Why did you have to get up at half past one? Well, it felt very important that we were on the beach for sunrise. Um, in terms of the visual image for photographers the light at that time of day is really really beautiful but also it felt very important that we were there to mark the moment of the first day of the g7 so um we had it had it just had to happen at that point and because we were wearing um we had makeup all over our torsos and backs and faces and um, the whole upper parts of our bodies, basically. It takes quite a long time to apply makeup all over. So, yeah, woke up at half past one and started putting makeup on, I think, at around 2 a.m. to be on the beach by four. What time was sunrise? Sunrise was 10 past five, but that's actually, that's the point when the sun comes over the horizon. So we needed to be in position before that happened, um, Mm. before the sun came up, because we had, you'll see in the the images, that we had a a dinghy as well, like a a Viking ship uh, on wheels, which was in the water with foghorns attached to the back of it, which my partner had made. And uh, we wanted to sound the alarm at the moment that the sun came up over the horizon and 
point it, the the foghorns were pointed in the direction of Tregenna Castle where the delegates were staying. And we wanted to sound the alarm at that point. And then every hour throughout the day after that. So everything needed to be exactly set up as the sun came up over the horizon as that point happened. Yes. So we needed a bit of time before then. And, of, and we had a, an awful lot of press there as well. So we needed to have everything sort of ready for them as well beforehand. So there was a lot right. of getting ready in the dark and being on the beach with lots of monofilament net and bits of sea waste. So for people who haven't seen the pictures and who might be listening to this, driving or in other countries or just not with access, paint us a visual image of the image that you created? Sure, Amanda. Um, so we had eight mermaids and um, the mermaids were not the kind of prettification mermaids. We were more hmm. along the lines of sea creatures and the, um, mer, I'd say mer people, sea people, hmm. and the kind of the mermaids from ancient mythology Although it's not something which I particularly studied, it's more of a kind of felt sense of that is how they needed to be. So um, we were tangled on the beach in um, sea waste and it wrapped up in monofilament net caught in the nets with lots of sea plastic and sea litter kind of fishing waste all around us and tangled up with us. We were wearing crowns made out of sea waste as if we'd collected it like treasure under the water. Mm. And um, it's basically made from sea waste treasure that I've collected. And um, I was supported by a group called Clean Ocean Sailing who go around collecting sea waste. And um, they allowed me to go through their their big bags of sea waste and pick out all the the beautiful treasures I could find but things like there's one crown which um it's kind of crowning jewel was like a broken tube of toothpaste and another one which was um a shiwi and toothbrushes what? kind of put all over it and 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 little you find lots of gun cartridges and cigarette really? lighters so right. they were kind of put on it to make sunshines and right. um, these beautiful crowns made out of sea waste anyway and then we were all tangled up in the net our bodies were painted with very white pale makeup and mm. um, with shadows of blue and gray on us so we looked to all intents and purposes, dead. All the performers, we talked about it beforehand, and the idea was everyone would have their eyes open and just be staring, which is we're quite used to looking into the distance. And with the Red Rebels, we call it the thousand-yard stare. It's like you just right. you're kind of staring into the into the distance. Sorry, I've got a cat in here. That's fine. Cats are always welcome. Yeah, staring into the distance, but this. Doing it felt very different. We were dead fish, basically, yeah. with no way of moving in the net. And actually being tangled in the net is a really horrible experience. When you're, It, it certainly made everybody have more of a sense of what, what it must be like for marine creatures that mm. get tangled in it because it's absolutely inescapable. When you're in it, you can't get out of it. It's, right. it's horrible stuff. Gosh. Just going to let this cat out. Okay. So when you're tangled up in it, it's it's like it's a nightmare stuff. You 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 can't move. You can't get out of it. Mm -hmm. Every every movement you make tangles you more. Right. 
gosh. So we were spread out across the beach, uh, kind of as if we'd been washed up by the tide yeah. on the shoreline. We had waves lapping at us and the tide was actually coming in. Wow. At that time, we were almost on high tide, but the tide was sort of waves were coming over us and um, we were just scattered in a, a pile on the beach. With your mermaid tails, which were beautiful. How had you made those? Somebody had made um, sort of a fabric skirts almost that were gathered at the bottom very tightly out of um, she's a, a woman who who collects old fabrics kind of bolts of fabrics that right. factories are throwing away and she made those for us and then um, I made the flukes out of uh, discarded yoga mats so okay. cut those and I found in uh, clean ocean sailing these um, they're kind of like loop things which are used to pin down oyster nets for I think they're for, for growing oysters on in the sea and they, they wash up on the beach all the time mm. and they were kind of spiky. So I used lots of those to kind of create the structure right. and stitch those on and then painted them. Wow. It, and it was a really, really striking visual image. And I'm guessing then that you have some very dedicated photographers who were also getting up in the middle of the night so that they were there to take the pictures. Yeah, lots of very dedicated photographers. And it's one of the, it was one of those things that I had... A few weeks before, I was like, we have to do the mermaids. The mermaids need to happen and the mermaids are going to happen. And I've just been talking to someone this morning about creativity and how often artists are kind of credited with, with doing the work that they do or the idea of genius is something that comes from inside a person. Mm. And we were talking about how the, the, the older, much older idea of genius and creativity as being something which comes through you. Yeah. And um, that's something which I definitely feel and definitely subscribe to that. Um, it was just like, Oh yeah, I'm going to do the mermaids. The mermaids are happening. So I can't take ownership of it. It came from somewhere else, I would say, definitely. Do you have a sense of where else it came from? Because of Ocean Rebellion and working so closely with the sea, I would just say it's the sea. Right. And doing it, you asked me at the beginning about if there was anything that I would do differently and what I would say I would do differently next time. We had a welfare group that that very kindly came to look after the mermaids because it's cold lying on the beach at four o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning with the tide coming in, uh, not wearing many clothes. We were not at terrible risk, but there's a risk of hypothermia and things like that. So we had Mm. um, a a group of welfare people with towels and hot water bottles and cocoa and things like that for afterwards, uh, which was incredibly kind and able to look forward to that while we were doing the performance was, was very nice but I felt and a lot of the performers felt that we all wanted to stay there for longer which sounds kind of weird because I can't say it's the most pleasant thing I've ever done but there was a profound sense of of there being something else going on Hmm. and um not just in terms of experiencing what it felt like to be trapped in the net but there was something an energy that was happening and um, we all felt that we didn't get it for long enough. Right. I very much feel that that things happen exactly as they're supposed to happen. So I'm sure it was exactly right. But there was definitely something going on that it would have been good to experience for longer. And, and could you have experienced it for longer without getting hypothermia? <laughs> I think we all could have done. I think we all could have done. Because <laughs> you're uh, hard. We, we, okay. All right. But with some the of the others. are incredibly dedicated and 
I think that shows in the the imagery that everybody who was there was really experiencing it. Definitely. And the photographers were really moved by it too. Tell me a little bit then, are these photographers that you are hiring in or are these agency photographers for some of the big reporting firms? So it's a mixture. There's some photographers that I work with a lot and um, photographers who've done uh, work with Extinction Rebellion and their own freelance stuff and also uh, photographic agencies. So like uh, people like Reuters and other um like Getty and um, what's the other one? Rutley as well. Associated Press. Um, I don't think we had any Associated Press there, but I, I speak to the, okay. the picture agency, the picture desks, and let them know that I'm going to be doing something. And usually they send someone along. That's that's impressive in and of itself, isn't it, that you you have that kind of relationship? Well, I, th- I think a lot of them realise that it, it's their contribution. You're right. That's their creativity is taking beautiful photographs. So I can provide Mm. my work for them to photograph and then they can take the photographs, which is their contribution to raising awareness of the climate crisis. Yeah, and getting them around the world. And do you find, so this is, doubtless my prejudice is coming to the fore, but tabloids like the Mail, the Sun, or or the broadsheets like the Telegraph, the, the kind of ones that have been routinely climate denying, in this country, are they beginning to take notice and want to have your images as well? The Daily Mail, surprisingly, yes. Really? Um, yes. There's a couple of Daily Mail journalists that I talk to quite often right. who are nice people. Okay. Our friends on the other side of the line. Our friends on the other side of the line, exactly. And um, they're really keen to get the images out there. Hmm. So... Yeah, it's it's definitely a mixture, definitely a mixture. But I think some images can sort of move the other side of the line. They they kind of they punch outside the bubble, right. I think. Right. And yep. when journalists have the opportunity to use those images, then they will. And yep. there's there's journalists who are working for publications that are that you that we wouldn't think of as um, as wanting to raise awareness right. in the way that, that that we are. But they those particular individuals do want to use their positions to raise awareness to some extent. Okay, All right. maybe not quite. They're, they're they're probably still being invited to parties. <laughs> Not like me. <laughs> Were you ever invited to the parties? <laughs> well, I don't know. The person who talks about climate change in the corner is never that. <laughs> That's true. But you never know. That might be going to change. Um, so the the ship blurred out. You said it, the alarm. What it actually blurred out was was the Morse code for SOS at dawn within easy hearing distance of the hotel. So the delegates were woken up, probably not at one in the morning when you were, but they were definitely woken up at dawn and then sounding through the day. Did you get any feedback on how that went down? Not from the delegates. We had some uh, relatively unimpressed holidaymakers and locals come to speak to us. So it was that was a mixture, actually. There were people who were very irritated and cross about having their holiday disrupted. But then there were people who, who felt that, but also said yes I'm cross but well done for doing that because somebody needs to do it so thank you for being the ones who got up before dawn and did that Um, so it generated a lot of of positive conversation alongside the more narrow-minded conversations of 
okay. of uh, why did you spoil my lion? Yeah, did anybody change from why did you spoil my lion to, okay, I realise this needs to be done? Yeah, there were a couple of people that I spoke to. There were quite a few of us on the beach throughout the day. Um, and there were a couple of people that I spoke to who, after a conversation, left kind of saying, yeah, I understand why that was important. And I think a lot of people were worried that it was going to happen every day of the conference. So right. uh, there was a fear, <laughs> definitely, that they came to talk to us and say, is this going to be happening every hour for the whole three days? Which I can I can understand because uh, I was pretty tired as well. <laughs> And uh, once they had been reassured that it was only for the first day, because we set off the alarm at dawn and then at sunset, we set light to the sail of the boat and the sail read, um, as the sea dies, we die, which is true. So we had Boris Johnson, a character dressed as Boris Johnson and a character dressed as an oil head. And the two of them gleefully set light to the sail. Um, up on the island in St Ives. So it was a piece of artwork that kind of went from dawn to dusk with those two kind of marker points. So once the sail had burnt them, then that was it. That was the end of the noise. And did that did that sink the boat? I'm trying to imagine because I didn't see pictures of a burning sail. Did you burn the whole boat? No, we it, we actually used uh, flame bars to do it. Flame bars are uh, what they use in films to to kind of make make fire look like fire so um have a you have a propane gas tank and then um a hollow tube which has got uh, irregular kind of slits in it and then you put the propane through it and you light it and it looks like it's on fire and the sail was actually a fire blanket and it burned. painted on with flame proof paint so the, the sail actually didn't burn but covered in paraffin okay it looked like it was on fire so um so yeah it's kind of um Creating, um, creating the picture to have the message rather than actually burning the boat because that way, if it hasn't worked once and they, they haven't got the, yeah. the image that tells that story, then we can do it again. And I think that probably comes from my background in films okay. and um, making sure that things can be communicated in the right way. That was my next question was because I was in awe of somebody who knows how to do all of this. And so tell us a little bit about your background in film. Well, I went to art college and um, studied painting, fine art painting, so graduated as a painter, and then fell into working in films as an art director. Mm-hmm. With that, I had no intention of, of becoming a filmmaker ever. Oh, yeah. But after graduating, there was a notice on the, the uh, college notice board at St. Martin's and it said wanted art director for student film at Goldsmith. So I thought, oh, I could go and have a go at that. So I went and had a go at it. And then a serendipitous career just unfolded kind of in front of me, just sort of doing following that line that we've talked about yep. with the Red Rebels. Like, what shall I do next? Oh, I'll go and do that. So I ended up, um, I worked for about right. seven years right. as an art director uh, doing... Um, pop videos and commercials and BBC dramas. And through that, I learnt lots of different things. Yes. Faking car crashes, um, flame bars and things. Right. And how to make things look like they're burning. Alrighty. So that was day one of the three-day G7. We talked in the previous section about various of the uh, Boris and the oil head having fun on the beach, various things like that. Did you do anything for the remaining two days or were you sleeping off the effects of day one? No, so the the second day, we had quite a busy day. We had for Ocean Rebellion a flotilla 
of sales in the afternoon or the evening in Falmouth. So um, after the first day being focused on St. Ives, we switched to Falmouth and uh, we took to the water and um, went out with with my partner's boat and um, we had had a a beautiful um, sail made by a local artist which says, the seas are rising and so are we. And um, it's very beautiful. And a group of people in Falmouth had got together to print a lot of, or to to give out a lot of flags. Falmouth Harbour was full of pink flags with an octopus on them. And uh, as the seas die, so do we. And um, we all sailed out in the evening with a lot of uh, police boats as well, supporting, keeping everyone safe. And um, we sailed over to the police boat and we projected slogans onto the police boat. Oh, the big police cruise ship that you spoke about, the Estonian one. That's right, yeah, the big, the big police cruise wow. ship. And, um, yeah, so that was, that was the second day. I'm really intrigued by the dynamics of this. So the police have been brought in from all over the country, except from the sound of things from the London Metropolitan Police. They're staying in an Estonian cruise ship, which must have been cognitive dissonance for everybody involved. And then they're supporting you or protecting you or watching and following you as you project symbols onto the ship on which they're housed. Did you get a chance to talk to any of the police and see how this was playing out for them? We'd spoken to the police about it quite a lot beforehand and the maritime police were also involved. Um, the police were really keen to facilitate the peaceful protest. We hadn't we hadn't cleared any of the slides with them, but they'd been a little bit concerned about what we might say hmm. on the side of the boat. They were expecting us to swear, and they were okay with that. They'd seen our fuck this ship slide. Okay. They were very concerned. I'm not sure if I can say it on this podcast, but the C word. Okay, no, you probably can't. Okay, but anyway, they were worried that you were going to be projecting that on the side of their ship. Yeah, they were very worried. And and had there been any history of anyone from XR using that word? It strikes me just not the kind of word that XR would be going to use. No, not at all. There hadn't been any history of it. I think I, I haven't looked into the legality of it, but it, there's obviously a lot more, a lot of potency around that word still, which I think is quite fascinating culturally. And they would then have to take different action. If you had done that, then their their response would have had to, legally would have been required to be different. Yeah, so that was what they were mostly concerned about. On the night, they were really helpful. It was actually really useful having them there because we had a lot of people out on the water. We'd initially intended it to just be us there projecting onto the ship. The flotilla was going to be first and everyone else was going to head back. But um, people wanted to stay out. They were having such a lovely time and it was a lovely sunny evening, so people stayed out. And um, it was really useful having police there to make sure that everybody else was safe because it's quite risky doing a protest on the water as you know yourself from being involved in a in any protest there's lots of things happening all the time um lots of things can can kind of go wrong at any point you don't you have a plan but you don't know exactly how things are going to unfold Mm. and when you're on the water there's a whole other element of safety if something goes wrong then people can die can go very wrong if someone gets into problems then it it can be potentially life-threatening very quickly so 
having the police there was actually quite reassuring. Especially maritime police who, who know what they're doing on the water, because the problem comes when you've got people who are not used to being on the water, who think they're having a fun day out and don't realise the dangers. Yeah, and the first time we went out, it, it um, we had people kayaking out there who probably weren't as experienced as we had expected. This was about a year ago now, um, right. when we first went out with Ocean Rebellion, and that made us aware that actually it's a big deal and we really need to make sure that people take responsibility for themselves. But, um, but having maritime police there on jet skis is quite... <laughs> quite a helpful thing and they were yeah. they, they said to us afterwards that they had a really lovely time as well so yeah, yeah it's that's, that's good um good. and interestingly yeah. they'd asked us beforehand so the local police liaison that we were working with had asked us beforehand to give them some slides for a powerpoint presentation which they were doing for the maritime police so to explain what ocean rebellion is doing and why we're doing it and how we're doing it they'd put that into their PowerPoint presentation. Yes. So we had some, uh, we, they were aware of our environmental message and our methods right. and how we're doing it and what we're doing. So uh, uh, I think it's a fascinating crossover. Yes. And a really important part of our communication. I, I still think and have thought since October 19 that the day the police sit down is the day that everything changes. Yeah. And I still think that's possible. It's never happened in Britain, but it has happened in other countries. And it, particularly, one imagines the maritime police must be so aware of the issues of all of the plastic in the ocean. They must be people who are there because they love the sea and they must see it being destroyed as much as anybody else does. Yeah. Did you get a sense of that from them? Were they too careful not to do that? We didn't talk to many of them. We really only spoke to our police liaison officer and I have a sense that I have a sense of support from him because he facilitated all of our peaceful protests so and was genuinely interested in what we're doing yeah education is with the sea it's a huge thing yeah there's so much to learn and so much to know and so many experts so um we were communicating mostly about cruise ships when we were out there. And um, he was surprised by some of the emissions, the fact that one cruise ship is equal to a million cars. So you have a cruise ship on tick over for 10 minutes. It's like having a million cars on tick over for 10 minutes. It's insane quantities of pollution. So um, we were talking more about that with him. Right. And then it, then it spreads. This is, this is how it spreads. That's, very good. Um, I'm really, really interested in the origins of the mermaids. I've been collecting sea waste for for well for a long time now, for more than a more than a year. Well, more than a year. I've had jars of bits and bobs that I picked up on the beach, and it's been bubbling away. But it was like this now. This is it. Has to happen. Yeah. This is yeah. their time. Yeah. And it's really inspired people, actually. We had someone write a poem, The Mermaids of St. Ives, and um, really captivating. So many people got in touch with me afterwards saying how deeply and incredibly moved they were by it, how powerful they felt the images were and how it moved them to tears and communicated something about, somebody said about, it was like the death of magic, Mm. which made me feel terrible like, I've killed magic. I don't think I have killed magic, but it was like a visual representation of 
call the magic of fairy tales and how the neglect and willful neglect of politics can kill that, mm. can actually kill the sea and kill the, the fairy tale and the joy. Yes, because if anything, you were bringing the magic back from the sound of things, that connection with whatever it is that spurred the mermaids into action. And then you're right, that image, it seemed to me it looked, the setting and the the light and the colours, it could have been a painting. It had that sense of this has been so carefully structured and it was so beautiful. And I can imagine when they do the picture roundups at the end of the year, somebody winning some kind of photographic competition with one of those images because they are they just hit right at the amygdala gut, God, this matters level, which I'm sure is what you wanted. And I so hope that some of the delegates at least got sight of them. Um, I think the Washington Post certainly had some of it. So it got as far as the American press, which is is very good. That's great. So let's. So that was day two. <laughs> day three. Did you did you carry on for day three? No, <laughs> <laughs> you ran out of steam. Okay, no, I can well imagine. No, <laughs> we had um, the there's a lot of technical things involved in boats. So right. we'd taken the boat out from its mooring, right. um, and we needed to wait for the tide to take us back. So it uh, we were by necessity having to wait until late afternoon right. to get the boat back, having missed the very early morning tide uh, because of exhaustion. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I heard that the Red Rebels were invited in towards the end. Were you, were you weren't part of the Red Rebel delegation? This time I wasn't. There was a, a point where I was going to try and potentially go over there on Sunday, but... Um, uh, exhaustion got the better of me and um, I realised okay. that, that I didn't have it in me. And also it's really interesting with the Red Rebels. We've, I was talking to um, the lady who coordinated for the, the G7 and um, she said she'd been carrying my costume around with her for the whole time just in case, which was really kind of her. Yes. But you sort of feel like you're part of it even if you're not there, because we because we work right. together so much, and we are, I've spoken before about how we we represent the the blood of the earth, and we are one body. And when we when we work together, we we tune in, and we move together, and we flow together. And I think that extends outside mm. of it, so it still resonates afterwards. So it, in a way, I had a kind of um, a FOMO thing when I when I was like, oh, no, they're doing Red Rebels in my hometown and I've got to do all this other yes. stuff. But it was like I was there even though I wasn't there. Yeah, and there are Red Rebels, there are plenty of Red Rebels and there are very few people who could do what you did yeah. with the mermaids. So so good call there. Did you get any feedback from the Red Rebels as to the experience of being in inside the conference centre? Oh, they didn't go inside the conference centre. No. Oh, I heard that they had. Right. No, That's so they went to the, I think they called it the Ring of Steel or something, round the round the outside of it. Right. So they went as far as that, and then they they went inside it and came out again. So um, they didn't actually get to go inside where the delegation was. Oh well, next but, time maybe. Um, another time, yeah. yeah. Who knows? And so, 
In the aftermath, that was a week ago. Yeah. Just over. Have you had any feedback from anybody on either side of the lines of this? Um, I've had a lot of emotional feedback from people who've been really moved by what they've seen. Yeah, I think it's mostly the emotional stuff that I've heard. On a personal level, I've had a lot of disappointment. We talked about hope last time. We spoke, Manda, beforehand, and um, Mm. I felt like I wasn't really feeling that much hope, but it turns out I did have hope, I think, and I felt really, really disappointed in the, I don't know, the outcome of of the conference, the fact that Mm. not enough was done. They made various pledges. Um, Some of them are iterations of things which have been been pledged before so it's actually more hot air yeah our government making pledges that are things that won't happen until after they've well hopefully until after we have a different government in so they're effectively Mm. meaningless because if it's not in their term of government then how are they going to make sure that they happen so i feel like there were uh, with some ocean pledges which are a start but it's okay. not enough. It needs to be more. It's it all feels too too little. It's mm. I don't know. Greta Thunberg talked about your house being on fire um, last year or the year before. That famous quote that she said, and it yeah. feels yeah. a bit like um, I don't know, chucking a, a fire blanket on the toaster when your house is burning down. Right. Yeah. So I feel frustrated and disappointed, but I'm also aware that together as a, an activist movement and a, in, certainly in terms of creative activism, we work as a, a huge team and we're, we're as a tapestry of all these different threads weaving in. And when we do something, we don't know to some extent what we're actually doing. We don't know what difference what we do will make in the bigger picture. So all we can do is do exactly what feels right at that time. And together, as long as we do those things, I I hold on to the belief that we do make a difference and we will make a difference by following our truth effectively. So I know that I've done the right thing for me what feels like the right thing for me I've followed those lines and I know that everybody I know who has produced things and worked for this and is still going on still working for these things Mm. has done the same that together somehow this might shape into something that makes a difference it's like someone described it as it's like making a huge prayer or if you make a dispatcho and then bury it Mm. in the ground it's it's like we're Mm. all weaving in together to this this bigger thing and then on some level something will shift yes 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 and being the vehicle for the mermaid for whatever energy it was that you felt when you lay with almost nothing on on the stones with the tide coming in and felt something shifting and these are the layers that we don't know about you're right we can't know but we can give it everything of our integrity and our courage and our consistency and our prayers and see what arises out of it. Absolutely. 
So are you planning things for COP26? I will be planning things for COP26. Right. I am going to take a week off. Good. Maybe. At least. At least. <laughs> maybe a month. I've been sorting, sorting out my vegetable garden, my wild vegetable Yay. garden a little bit. And also, when you spend a lot of time doing creative activism you can um, have quite a lot of tidying up to do afterwards there's been a lot of mermaid costumes to dry out and shake the sand out of oh, yeah. and then there's mermaid tails to store and the practicalities of these things yes. need to happen too so um, there's all that happening in the background as well but um, but definitely we'll be doing stuff for cop 26 and probably stuff before then as well so um, I'm I'm not going to be involved in the in the free the press stuff, which is happening this coming weekend. Glad to hear it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think even even I would would struggle to to manage to do that. But uh, but yes, okay. plans will emerge for that, and um, we've also got some plans for um, some work around fishing, mm-hmm. which is really exciting. At our, our next campaign is going to be very much centred around fishing and calling for an end to bottom trawling. Industrial right. bottom trawling needs right. to stop because the emissions from it are so huge. It's worse than all global aviation put together, Gosh. which is abominable when you think yes. that that's being allowed to yeah. continue. So um, we're calling for a moratorium on fishing, furlough the fleet for two years right? Um, yes. and uh, to allow fish stocks to replenish. And we've got some exciting, I think, visual, creative actions going to be happening. Uh-huh. So the monofilament net is isn't actually going into storage okay. just yet because I still need to figure out some some ways of playing around with that. I'm thinking that if you could get someone like Nigel Farage to volunteer to be wrapped up in monofilament net so that he could experience what it was like. Yeah. He might completely change his views on fishing. You know. Yeah, or George Eustace, our um, environment minister, who's actually my local MP. Um, so, wow. yeah, it would be quite good for him to experience it, I think. Yeah, they have to volunteer, though, because the principle of nonviolence is that we don't sneak up on people and wrap them in nets. But We wouldn't do that. No. But um, when they use terms like uh, fully fished, I think some <sighs> of the... The stocks of, of various fish are have not yet been fully fished. Is it's pretty toxic language, isn't oh, it? They said it's, that. Yeah. Well, that means there are still some alive, and we haven't killed them. That all. means there are still some alive. Yeah. Yeah. Oh goodness. Or it's not fished. It's it's not yet fished to the brink of extinction. Right. I think fully fished is when it's on the brink of extinction. Dear. So yeah. it's it's harsh language. Okay. All right. Let's think of something good to leave everybody with, because I don't want to leave them with the idea of total extinction of the seas, much though it may be on on the cards. No. Anything that you've taken away that leaves you at all hopeful? I think my biggest hope is the coming together of, of people. And when we work together, how much greater we are than the sum of our parts. We, we come as individuals as single people, but uh, what we what we create and what we do when we work together is so much more. Yes. So I think whether or not we think that we come out of this, uh, what what shape we come out of it in as humanity, this is a, a huge gift that we're given mm. to to realise this that that together we can be so much more. 
And maybe without the climate crisis, we wouldn't have realised this. We need the adversity to push us together. Yeah. 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 And the people that it's brought together and the, um, the creativity and the ingenuity and the, the power and the strength that it has created is, is pretty huge. And I think acknowledging that is a really important thing. So, yeah, I think, I don't know, does that outweigh all the negatives? I don't know. It doesn't have to outweigh them. It can be on a separate scale, can't it? Yeah, and when we look back in history, there's oh, there's been so many difficulties and so many challenges and the climate crisis has been ignored for such a long time that I feel like this momentum of people talking about it and communicating and pulling together this this kind of rising up of people has been a long time coming. And um, yeah, I've met some and I work with some of the very, very, very best of humans. So I feel very privileged to work with them and to share this time with them. That feels like a really beautiful, wonderful, hopeful place to end. Though it does sound like if anybody listening wants to offer help, Possibly the best thing they could do would be to offer storage space for mermaid tales. <laughs> yeah, that would be helpful. Although, if anyone wants to be involved in our campaigns, then they can check out the Ocean Rebellion website, which is oceanrebellion.earth. Brilliant. I will put a link to that in the show notes. That's wonderful. Yeah, there should be stuff in there which uh, relates to everything that we've been doing. Although, we're, we're still a very small team and... Um, it's an ongoing struggle to get people to do social. I keep asking people who wants to take on our social media, and it's amazing. It's a bit like being the person in the in the room at when you at a party and you're talking about the climate crisis, um, how it goes quiet. That's the uh, if you're with a group of activists, you're like, who wants to help? People go, yeah, and they say, who wants to do the social media? And then suddenly it's like tumbleweed city. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there's anybody out there who feels like doing the social yeah. media for Ocean Rebellion? Yeah, give me a shout. Step forward now. Contact us and we'll put you in touch with Sophie. Yeah, Brilliant. definitely. There we go. We might get something good out of this. Thank you so much. And please, please go and take a rest. Lovely. Thank you so much, Manda. And that's it for another week. So much thanks to Sophie for her creativity, for her connection to whatever it is that she is bringing forward when she creates the mermaids and everything else that she does. If you've listened to enough of these podcasts, you know that my belief is that our connection to the more-than-human world, our ability to be the edgewalkers, to be the people who stand in the liminal places between the worlds and conduct the energies of the more-than-human world into the human-dominated world is what's going to lead us away from the edge of the cliff. And Sophie is such an exemplar of an edgewalker of somebody who listens to what the world needs of her and does it. So genuinely, if anybody wants to help Ocean Rebellion, do their social media, even just provide space somewhere in Cornwall to keep the mermaid tales, do let me know. Or just get onto their website, offer help that way. Everything and anyone who takes a step in the right direction is helping and we never know when the tipping points are coming or what will bring them about. So that's us for now, hoping that we are adding to the tipping points on the generative side of the scale. 
If you know of anybody else who would like to join us, then please do send them this link. And if you want the show notes, head over to accidentalgods.life. In the meantime, thanks to Cara C for the music at the head and foot and the sound production. Thanks to Faith Tillery for the website and the tech. And thank you to you for listening. We will be back next week with another conversation. In the meantime, thank you and goodbye.